Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. Recording this at about 7 p.m. on Thursday. The Nets just got their asses handed to them by the Cleveland Cavaliers at Accor Arena in Paris. Traveled all the way across the pond to really put on what was a pretty embarrassing performance for about three quarters. They made it a little bit closer at the end. They fall 111-102 to the Cavaliers. That score is really doing them some favors. They trailed by 26 in this game. The first half performance was really just pitiful. They put on a little bit of a fight late, but not good. This is now two games since I last potted. The game before this was a 134-127 overtime loss to the Portland Trailblazers, a game where the Nets really couldn't stop a nosebleed defensively. The Blazers made 23s. Anthony Simons had 38 points. The Nets were just desperately trying to double him down the stretch and get the ball out of his hands, and other guys were knocking down threes. That's a Trailblazers team that I think has 10 wins on the season, so obviously not a good sign. Then they drop this one. They've now lost 12 of their last 15 games. They're six games under 500. Things have been spiraling, and they look like they're really continuing to spiral. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what went wrong in this game before answering some questions that I fielded from users on Twitter. Battling through a little bit of a sickness right now, if you can hear it in my voice, so bear with me that watching that Nets performance didn't really help that cause. But getting into what went wrong in this one, the Nets came out of the gates in this game and really looked completely unprepared, frankly, from an offensive standpoint. This first quarter of offense from this team was some of the ugliest basketball that we've seen all season. They were a team that couldn't get anything going. Cleveland was, and this is with Cleveland being without um, Evan Mobley, who's considered one of the better defenders in the league, but the Cavs were really just switching everything. They were pushing up into the Nets, forcing them back further out onto their perimeter. When the Nets were able to drive, Jared Allen was swallowing up everything. He had four blocks in the first half and was just dominating. And this really exposed some of the Nets' deficiencies offensively, which is their lack of shot creation, because as I said, the Cavs were switching everything, and the Nets are really just – they're spamming DHOs. They're trying to get the ball to Mikhail Bridges in the first quarter. He's handling it a lot in that period and struggling mightily. I think he was – I think he missed his first seven shots. And the Nets score 16 points in the first quarter. Everybody besides Cam Thomas is 2 of 13 from the field. Thomas came in the game off the bench with, I think, like five minutes left in the first quarter and completely saves the Nets. He scored 10 points on four or five shooting in the frame. He finished with 26 points, two assists, zero turnovers, nine of 21 from the field. But this start by the Nets was a team that it was a combination of a team that was unprepared to attack a scheme that was switching and really forcing them to create advantages on their own. Also, coupled with they're just frankly having an inability to create advantages on their own during this game. If you look at the players outside of Camp Thomas in this one, who are trying to do something in the Nets starting unit. Mikhail Bridges, you know, he scored 42 points against Portland. He looked like he was maybe breaking out of what has been a really extended cold stretch now for three weeks to a month. He had a game-tying shot in that game with five seconds left, and it looked like it could be a, a momentum-building performance for him. And then he comes out in this one, and he looked lost in this first quarter. 
He was trying to take Jared Allen to the rack. He couldn't do anything. He was struggling to, frankly, even get shots off in the opening frame. Finishes with 26 points, but 6 of 18 from the field, 1 assist, 4 turnovers. Spencer Dimwitty is supposed to be the Nets' other ball handler alongside Cam Thomas. You know, he was listed as questionable with an illness heading into this one, but he scores two points on one of three shooting. He only plays 15 minutes. I don't think he played in the second half, so he doesn't give them anything. And then Cam Johnson scores three points on one of seven shooting in 23 minutes, and he was benched down the stretch of this game. So this was an offensive performance that really – the Nets just looked like a team that had no plan of attack and had no ability to overcome some of their deficiencies that they have from a shot creation standpoint through an approach. And this is really an underlying issue with this team. And honestly, you know, when the Nets are having guys like Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, who are their two best players midway through the third quarter, I think there was a point where Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson were three of 21 from the field. These are two guys that who are their Nets' two highest active paid players right now. And our guys were making over $20 million a year. Three of 21 from the field. And it's not like that's an aberration. Like that has been happening in games over these last three weeks. I know like Cam Johnson started the season, you know, was had a hamstring in training camp and then was coming back, you know, from a, a foot injury and an ankle injury or calf injury, I think it was, missed like eight games. But He's been a little bit better as of late, but still far too inconsistent and performing below expectations of what you'd expect for a guy who just signed, I think, a $95 million contract. Mikhail Bridges, we know his struggles. And the offensive approach in this one is really what concerned me because you look at this first quarter and obviously Cam Thomas isn't on the floor to start the quarter. He's been on the uh, six man for the last, or sometimes not even a six man, been coming off the bench for the Nets last seven games. They're one in six during that span. And Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, the Nets are just running DHOs and spamming DHOs for these guys. The Cavs are switching on to them, blowing those up on the perimeter, and they really can't create any shots. And they're doing this wall. Spencer Dimwitty, who is supposed to be this team's ball handler and a more natural shot creator than those two, is standing in the corner. So I, I really don't understand it. It doesn't make sense from that standpoint. And you know, those two guys, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, some of the inefficiencies that they have as shot creators, which weren't a secret, but I think are you know, really glaring and being really accentuated over these last two or three weeks to a level where I think they're better than this, but they're just not performing at anywhere near a level where they're able to create advantages. And then you have a guy like Spencer Dimwitty. I don't know what's going on with Spencer Dimwitty. He is a guy who frankly looks checked out. I know he was listed as questionable with the illness before this game. Jock Vaughn said he got post games that they got, he got an IV before the game. So obviously he wasn't feeling well, but this is now five games over the last five games. Spencer Dimwitty's averaging 8.2 points per game. He's attempting 6.4 shots per game. For the season, I think he's at around 11 attempts per game. Last season with the Nets, he was at 12 attempts per game. So this is a guy who, while Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson are struggling to get things going as ball handlers or guys who are coming off these DHOs, the Nets have Spencer Dimwitty in the corner standing there doing nothing. He's a guy who's supposed to be a shot creator and an initiator. Now, if that's a product of Jock Vaughn putting Dimwitty in those spots where, frankly, he shouldn't be that much – or if that's just a product of Dimwitty being checked out and not being assertive enough in these situations, it's not a recipe for success because Mikhail Bridges is in an extended cold streak. Cam Johnson was, broke out of it a little bit lately, but they're guys that aren't producing as high-level shot creators. And then, you know, Jock Vaughn had a quote after the game, and he was talking about where things went wrong offensively, and he was pointing to the Nets' need to be able to create advantages in one-on-one matchups if guys are going to switch, if teams are going to switch actions like they were in that first half. 
And he pointed to Cam Thomas. This was the full quote from Jock. He said, the best play of the first half was Cam Thomas got the switch, drove Jared Allen to the basket, and three dudes collapsed. So his ability to break down a, def a defender is huge for us. He swung it to the high quad, and we end up getting a corner three. And being able to replicate that over and over again, breaking down the defense, is a challenge for us because you have to have the personnel to go by, guys. And that's what the Nets are lacking right now. You know, against Portland, it was their defensive struggles, and it's been their defensive struggles for a long time, but they've also been struggling offensively. Those defensive struggles have led to them being forced to play in the half court a lot more than they want to. And in those half court settings, they're really getting exposed at this team that is lacking shot creators. And, you know, Jock Vaughn said, you know, you need guys who are able to go by guys and create advantages in one-on-one -on -one matchups. The Nets have really had two guys who are supposed to be those guys and supposed to be able to do that as ball handlers. That's Cam Thomas and that's Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, the issue is that those two have proven that they can't play alongside one another because they have such glaring defensive um, shortcomings. So that's put a lot of strain on the Nets offense because they don't have guys who are able to create advantage, able to win these one-on-one -on -one matchups. And that has really been reflected in their three-point shooting, which has just gone completely down the drain. I think they're like 20... 26th in the league in three-point shooting over their last 16 games. And they're they're way down in attempts. I think they're like 18th in the league in attempts during that span. Not being able to create advantages is really leading to this offense stagnating because you're not putting defenses into rotations at all. So I said, there's really two guys who are able to do that. And that's Spencer Dimwitty and Cam Thomas. You know, Cam came in and saved the Nets in this game, frankly. You know, he, he didn't he had some struggles in the second half a little bit, but he started out this game extremely hot and he kept the Nets in this game. And Spencer Dimwitty, I said that Jock Vaughn obviously had to be put to a decision because those two proved that they can't play together because of defensive shortcomings. Jock Vaughn was put in a decision of who he was going to roll with in the starting lineup and he picked Spencer Dimwitty. I've you know laid out the reasoning, I think, for that decision. A lot of it had to go into Dinwiddie's ability as a facilitator, his ability to get other guys involved. There were some advanced numbers that really favored him. But over these last six games or five games, as I said, Spencer's at, what did I say, 8.2 points. He's taken 6.4 shots per game. If that's going to be the case, and this team is going to be this bad as they have been over this recent stretch, what did I say they were? One in six, I think, or one in six or one in five since Cam Thomas has been coming off the bench. If there's going to be, if they're going to be this bad, there's really no reason that Cam Thomas should not be in the starting lineup because, frankly, Spencer Dinwiddie does not look like a guy who's heavily invested in this team right now. He's 30 years old. He's probably wondering where he's going to be long term based on some comments that he made earlier in the season. You kind of saw that coming. And it's like, why be prioritizing a guy who's 30 years old and might be a little checked out as opposed to a guy who's 22 years old is a budding offensive player. And you could probably look to increase his development a little bit by putting him in some positions where he has to do more things. So that's kind of, you know, a shorthand recap of what happened in that game. Some of the struggles that the Nets are having over this extended stretch offensively and some of the issues that are really going to continue to present themselves until we get some more clarity and maybe a shakeup in the trade deadline. Uh, one more guy that I don't want to gloss past is Lonnie Walker, who really had his first high-level performance since coming back from injury, first extended action since coming back from injury. I think he was like 0 for 6 over his last two games before this since coming back from what was like a 16-game absence due to a hamstring injury. But he had only played like 12 minutes combined in those two games today. He was great today. He had 20 points on 8 of 12 shooting from the field, 4 of 5 from 3. Was a guy alongside Cam Thomas who was really the only one who was able to create some shots for the Nets and give them a little bit of an offensive punch that they needed to create some, you know, to make this a competitive game down the stretch. So Lonnie Walker, you know, a guy who – 
I said two guys who can consistently create advantages against the one-on-one defenders. And I said, Spencer Dimwitty and Cam Thomas. I said that because Lonnie Walker hasn't played for an extended stretch before this. So Lonnie playing at the level that he did today and really regaining some confidence and getting back into the rhythm of what he was before he went down with that hamstring injury, because before that, he was leading the NBA in scoring among players playing under 24 minutes per game. So he was one of the top bench scorers in the NBA, a three-level guy who was proving really efficient. So if he can get going, that will take some of the pressure off of guys like Mikhail Bridges, off of guys like Cam Johnson, allow them to kind of go back a little bit more into an off-ball role where maybe they're coming off some pin downs and things along those nature. But yeah, I mean – Cam Thomas was also asked after the game about, you know, is the offensive stagnation in this first half a product of guys just not being able to win one-on-one matchups or was it a product of something schematically? And he said it was a little bit of both. And I thought it was a great answer because you do need guys who can win one-on-one matchups, especially down the stretch of games. But the Nets are getting pretty stagnant offensively. There's not a lot of creativity in this offense right now. It's a lot of, you know, DHOs and a lot of things like that. Not even a lot of high pick and roll today. And you're going to get stagnant when teams can just switch everything because you're not allowed, you're not able to take advantage of mismatches. But Mikhail Bridges is handling the ball a lot and he's struggling trying to create in isolations. Like it was really bad in this fourth first quarter. He was getting exposed. So it wouldn't be bad for the Nets maybe to go back to some of what they had success with and what Mikhail did a lot in his Phoenix days, which is some of those pin downs, trying to get him coming off screens around to the elbow, trying to create some movement in that way where defenders can't just switch stuff on the ball, where they have to kind of sort through things off the ball and try to get Mikhail to some of his spots. So a little bit of a combination of not great scheming, in my opinion, but that's also difficult when you don't have guys that are able to take care of one-on-one matchups. And I'm speaking primarily on the offensive struggles because that was really the story of this game. The Nets did a much better job defensively today than they have over the last, frankly, three weeks. They held the Cavs to 39% shooting. They held them to 29% from three. But Donovan Mitchell, who was the guy that obviously has been linked to the Nets and there's been talk about him as a potential cog in their future plans, he went off in this one. He had 45 points on 15 of 30 shooting from the field. The Nets really cut the game to, I think it was nine points at one point late in that fourth quarter. And it seemed like every time they were threatening to get it to single digits, Donovan Mitchell came back. He hit a huge shot. And this is, you know, it's interesting because there's been obviously trade speculation surrounding Donovan Mitchell and the Nets. A lot of Nets fans seem to be of the mindset that they're nowhere near close to contention. We don't want him. There's been some people who have even been questioning how much does he elevate the team? Would you be willing to part with Cam Thomas for him? Donovan Mitchell showed in this game that he's a star star player, an all-star player, and he is a player that is really the quintessential thing that the Nets are missing right now, which is a high-usage ball handler who can create shots, who can break down defenses, who can create advantages for other others and take pressure off of a guy like Mikhail Bridges and allow him to slide back to a little bit of more his more accustomed role as an off-ball, lower-usage guy, which would also probably benefit him on the defensive end. So, you know, not saying the Nets should trade for Donovan Mitchell. I'm sure I'll have a lot more talk about that, you know, as we get closer to the trade deadline, in his case, probably this offseason. But He's a guy, if you're watching the Nets these last three weeks, they could certainly use a guy like Donovan Mitchell, as could a lot of teams in the league. I think the Yes Network had the stat that Mitchell leads the NBA in a 40-point games since last All-Star break. So, you know, if you're watching this abysmal Nets offense, Donovan Mitchell on the other end gave you a little glimpse into what you're missing. That's pretty much it, what I had on this Cleveland game, a disappointing performance from the Nets. Now going to get to some Twitter questions from users posted at halftime, also after the game, and got some good ones. 
Starting out with D. Lee, would the Nets have little to lose and all to gain by experimenting with Cam Thomas at point guard? I touched on this a little bit in my prior answer, and it's an interesting conversation because I don't it's it's tough to put Cam on an island at point guard because frankly, that's not his position. He's not going to be a point guard. He is a guy that in a perfect world, he's a little bit, you know, personnel and scheme dependent. You have to kind of build some things around him. He's a guy who's going to play at his best as a guy who's a quick decision maker, an isolation player in moments, but alongside a guy who is a ball handler, a distributor, and frankly, probably needs to be a high-level defender. You know, ironically, a guy like Ben Simmons, who has been out, and who knows when he's going to play again for the Nets. But that's kind of the mold of something that you would want alongside Cam. Now, the question of would they have little to lose and all to gain, at this point, as I said, if Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be checked out and if he is going to be, you know, not producing at anywhere a level – that's commensurate to playing him over a guy like Cam Thomas. You really need to put Cam Thomas in the starting lineup because this is a team that the offense is just a slog so often. And Cam Thomas has proven that he's your best scorer. And he's proven, as Jock Vaughn said, that he's one of the only guys that can create these advantages and take pressure off of other guys. Now, I think that some people, some Nets fans seem to think that, oh, you'll just put Cam in for Spencer. You know, he'll cook. The offense will be great. If the Nets are to do that and the Nets are to start Cam Thomas, there's going to be some pretty significant growing pains, in my opinion, because he's a guy that, frankly, is not a high-level passer right now, like not even close to it. He had some – I think he he's trying to make some strides, and I think we're seeing a little bit of a shift in mindset. But like today he had two assists. He could have had more. He drove and had some good kickouts and things along those lines. But this is a guy that, frankly, is limited in terms of his vision and in terms of some other things, in terms of processing defensive coverages – so there's going to be some growing pains right now, but if you're giving him extended minutes, if you're allowing him to start, if you're putting him in more of those situations, maybe you can expand his development where he's more than obviously just a microwave scoring guard. Now, I don't think that that's going to be his position long-term. I think that he's going to be you know, a scoring combo guard who's going to be complemented by a ball handler and a defender at point guard in a perfect world, but... You know, I don't think that there's much to lose by leaning into the development of a guy who is 22 years old and has proven that he is going to be probably your best scorer over a guy like Spencer Dimity, who's 30 and frankly doesn't look all too invested in the team right now. Next question, one more from D. Lee. Does retaining DFS, Spence, and Royce simply give an endangered coach a security blanket to cling to at the expense of development? So kind of along the same theme I don't, it's not giving Jock Ball much of a security blanket right now because the team isn't playing well. Like none of those guys right now are playing very high level basketball because the team is just stuck in a rut. You talk about guys like DFS and Royce, who were great earlier this season and have had games throughout this cold stretch where they've been good, but they're three point shooters. They're guys who aren't shot creators off the ball. And frankly, the guys who are supposed to be shot creators, whether it be Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, sometimes Cam Johnson, Cam Thomas, obviously aren't performing at a level enough that's at a level that's putting those guys guys in good position so you know it's not giving him a security blanket right now if you're asking me do I think that the Nets are going to hold on to all those guys just to try to stay competitive I don't I expect them to be active at the trade deadline I talked about this yesterday on the Locked On Nets podcast with Doug Norrie but Nets are getting to a point where their trade deadline conversation is going to center around their impending free agents and I would say also Dorian Finney-Smith. The impending free agents are Nick Claxton, Spencer Dinwiddie, Royce O'Neal, Lonnie Walker, and then Dorian Finney-Smith isn't an impending free agent but a veteran guy who could be in that conversation. And the Nets just have financially, there are numbers that they're not going to be able to retain all those guys in free agency. And also, 
with where they're at right now, they should be listening to offers on everybody. I mean, they're not going to trade Mikhail Bridges, and that seems to be accepted at this point. But everybody outside of him, they should be listening to offers, and they should be willing to move those guys who are older if they can recoup value for them. So I don't think that they're going to hold on to all those guys to just try to keep winning because, first of all, it's not realistic financially with them needing to stand to the luxury tax for reasons I've outlined before. And also, it just wouldn't be a prudent move given some of these guys are getting to 30 years old, and eventually you're going to need to cash in on some of them. So that's where I'm at, I'm at that. Next question from Joe Martin. How would you spark a jolt into this Nets team? Trading specific players, playing Noah Clowney or Jalen Wilson. You know, it's tough right now because the Nets are limited from a scheme standpoint. I think, you know, a start could be reinserting Cam Thomas into the starting lineup. And as I said, I think there's going to be some growing pains, but at least you could get a little bit of scoring punch to start these games. Frankly, the Nets just need to be able to get some stops defensively as they did in this game, but they need to start playing complementary basketball where both ends of the floor are complementing because they've been, frankly, very below average on both ends of the floor, and that's not allowing them to get going on either. Like, they can't get stops. I've written – I wrote an article two days ago about their struggles defending the three-point line. They're the worst team in the NBA defending the three-point line over their last 16 games, and all of that scoring by opposing teams – is allowing is not allowing the Nets to run in transition, as I said. So now they're stuck in the half court. Now their lack of shot creation is getting exposed, and then it's vice versa. Then the Nets can't score. Other teams are getting rebounds, turnovers. Other teams are getting transition opportunities, and that's just it. Kind of was working both ways. So it's tough to say what you would do to put a jolt into this team. You know, Noah Clowney is a guy who is impressing in the G League right now. Dayron Sharp is something something I should have touched on earlier. He. Went down in the Portland game with a hyperextended knee. He's going to be out for at least two weeks. So he's a guy that I've said could look to get some burn, you know, as we go into these next games. Harry Giles played in this game, but not much. What did he play? Harry Giles played three minutes in this game. So basically a DNP. And then that's really a bit of team that they don't want to play Harry Giles. When they played that Bucks game that everybody went nuts about on December 27th, the shorthanded loss where they rested almost the entire rotation. Giles played, I think, seven minutes. And Noah Clowney played 24 minutes. And he actually looked pretty good. So was he a guy that could play? I don't think that it's anywhere near out of the realm of possibilities that he could get some minutes for this team. Is that going to provide a spark? No, but I think it could be good for his development, obviously, to get some some minutes early. He's 19 years old. He's the fourth youngest player in the NBA. Getting him a little bit of experience couldn't hurt. A guy like Jalen Wilson, you know, I think that he could provide a spark for this Nets team. He's a guy that just plays with a lot of energy and really plays hard. I do think that he's going to have some offensive limitations along the lines of what we've seen with, you know, I'm talking about limited shot creation. He's not a guy that's going to come in and be an elite shot creator, but what he is going to do is provide the team extra opportunities with offensive rebounds. He's going to guard defensively and he's a guy who's 23 years old. He's a guy I tweeted about him. I think it was after a New Orleans blowout loss a week or two ago. He's a guy that should definitely be playing for this Nets team after the trade deadline. They should be cashing in on some of these veterans, trying to recoup some you know, draft capital along those lines. And then they should be putting a guy like Jalen Wilson, who's 23 years old. He's not young, in the rotation and trying to get him minutes and try to get him NBA experience. So tough to say what you would do to spark a jolt into this Nets team, but... I do think that there are things that Jacques Vaughn can try to switch up to get them, you know, going a little bit on either end. Next question from Eric Manny. This team badly needs a true point guard. Don't see a hand and glove fit available. Would they trade and gamble on a young guard a la Jaden Ivey, Josh Giddy, Davion Mitchell, Tyus Jones? The Nets do badly need a point guard. And that guy was supposed to be Spencer Dinwiddie. It was supposed to be really Ben Simmons. But I mean, if the Nets 
were expecting Ben Simmons to play for an extended period this season, and they were banking on him, which it seems like they may have been to some extent. Just a foolish decision. I mean, because Ben Simmons has shown no signs that he was, he's been able to be available for an extended period. So with Spencer Dinwiddie playing the way that he is right now, the Nets do really badly need a point guard. They need a guy who can set other people up. They need a guy who can break down defenders at times alongside Cam Thomas, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, some of these other wings. Some of the names you threw out, Jaden Ivey, Josh Giddy, Davion Mitchell, Tyus Jones. I mean, like, could the Nets take a flyer on a guy like Davion Mitchell? Maybe those other guys, Jaden Ivey, Josh Giddy, Tyus Jones. I mean, those guys are going to cost you first round picks. I don't think that the Nets are looking to go that route right now with where they are, unless they get a guy who's young and under team control for an extended period. It's going to be tough for them to give up draft capital. I mean, a guy that was linked to the Nets um, today was DeJounte Murray because Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports put out a trade intel article and said that DeJounte Murray's camp pretty much views Brooklyn as a good fit for him. And that makes a lot of sense from his perspective because the Nets are obviously in desperate need of a lead ball handler right now, a chance to come to the New York market, really take a feature role in the offense after being, you know, kind of taking a backseat in a complimentary role next to uh, Trey Young there in Atlanta. So not sure where I stand on DeJounte Murray. That just came out today. I, he's a guy I wrote about in the offseason, but he's entering the first year of a four-year $114 million contract next season. If he's a guy that you could get for, you know, at a discounted rate because he's not having a great season right now, if he's a guy that you could try to get at a discounted rate while maybe only giving up like young players, salary filler, maybe a first, like a non-premium first round pick and trying to bring him in and then get him back into a role where he's not playing alongside a ball dominant guy like Trey Young. And if you think that that will allow him to shine a little bit more as a two-way guard and, you know, lead creator is what, which is what the Nets desperately need a point guard right now. I'm not sure I'm in love with it, but it's a scenario that I could see making some sense for the Nets. So you know, I, I could see them taking a flyer on a point guard. Maybe they move Spencer Dinwiddie around. I don't think that he's going to have a ton of trade value based on where he's playing right now, but maybe you could use him as a salary filler and get something back where you just get some new blood in the door at point guard because Dinwiddie looks like a guy, frankly, right now who's looking on to where is his net situation is. So that's how it is with that. Next question from EJ Ugwu. What is stopping the Nets from ripping the Band-Aid off this team is not going to be anything as currently constructed. I guess that means why are the Nets not going into a full rebuild right now? I think everybody knows the answer to that. That's because they don't have their draft picks and Houston has their draft picks and they're afraid of the PR nightmare of, you know, gifting, going into a full rebuild and gifting the Rockets, you know, top five picks, kind of a repeat of the Celtics Nets trade with um, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, although that was with a different regime. So, the Nets aren't a team that's going to go into a full rebuild right now. They're just not going to do it. Like I, you know, is it right? It's not right, but I've talked about this at several points since the last trade deadline when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving went out the door. Those picks that you owe Houston, if you're looking at it logically, economically, they're a sunk cost. They have no benefit or harm to you other than optically. Like that's not changing anything about your current team. If you gift the Rockets top five picks, all it does is hurt you from an optics and a PR standpoint. But obviously, GMs, owners operate with those things in mind. So the Nets aren't a team that's going to go to a full rebuild right now. And, you know, it, it depends on what some of the market for some of the guys is. Like, I, I see people calling for a full rebuild. But if you look up and down the Nets roster, the only really, really promising young players, I guess you would say they have, 
are Cam Thomas and Nick Claxton, who are 22 and 24 years old. Then you have the rookies, Noah Clowney and Tariq Whitehead, but they're not really ready to contribute at an NBA level yet, it would seem. They're 19 years old. Dariq Whitehead still coming along. He's coming off, you know, two foot surgeries. Noah Clowney, I said 19 years old, fourth youngest guy in the NBA. So that's a little bit difficult. Obviously, Jalen Wilson, we'll see what he is, a 53rd pick. But like, there's not a whole lot here right now to build around. So then it becomes a question of what would the market be and what kind of young talent would you be able to get back for some of the guys that you have right now if you were to go into a rebuild? So I think that the Nets could get some good pieces back. You know, obviously, like if they were to trade a guy like Mikhail Bridges, you would think they could get multiple draft picks and probably a very promising young player. You know, a guy like Nick Claxton even might be on the move, even though I said he's one of their promising young players. Like if the Nets don't want to pay a center, he could be on the move. You could try try to get stuff back from them. But if they are to go full rebuild, like I think fans underestimate how bad it's going to be. I think fans overestimate what you're going to get back for guys in trade. So I think the Nets sometimes think fans will say full rebuild, blow it up. Like you trade these guys, and then you get back all these, you know, elite promising young players. That might not be the case. And then you might be in a position where you're, you know, building around a guy like Cam Thomas and then some other, you know, guys who probably might top out as complimentary pieces. And the jury is even out on what Cam Thomas is going to be long-term. So I think people underestimate how bleak that situation could be. Does that mean the Nets shouldn't do it? No, but the bottom line is they're not going to do it because they don't want to gift Houston top picks. So, you know, right now, I, it's, I'm not saying it's out of the cards down the line, but Mikhail Bridges is a guy who has two years left on this on his contract after this at a very reasonable number. He's struggling mightily over the last almost month now, so it doesn't really make sense to trade him right now, and it's something that they were never going to do. So they still have two years to figure out what they have with him. They have a guy like Cam Johnson under control, the trades. And, you know, blowing it up right now, just like the movement really centers around what I said was impending free agents, which is Nick Claxton, Royce O'Neal, um, Spencer Dinwiddie, Lonnie Walker, and then obviously Dorian Finney-Smith, another guy that you could throw into that conversation. Last question from Daniil. Do you think Brooklyn makes any big moves and who would be the targets? You know, I... I just touched on this. I think the obvious target that people have been talking about is Donovan Mitchell, who I said showed the Nets what they were missing in this game today. But Cleveland is playing a lot better with him, even you know without Darius Garland and, and uh, Evan Mobley over these last three weeks, I think it is now. So they're a team that is not going to trade him at the deadline. Like That's the signals that they've been sending. There's been reporting from a lot of different people. But Donovan Mitchell is a guy who – insiders who are in the know around the NBA are adamant that it's not going to sign a contract extension with them. And he is going into pretty much the last year of his contract next season. So at the trade deadline, I don't see him being in play for the Nets. But when we get to the offseason, the Nets seem like a prime candidate. It seems like it's them and the Miami Heat are the teams that could be involved for a guy like Donovan Mitchell. So that's something to watch out for down the line. If you're talking about at this deadline, any big moves, I guess DeJounte Murray would be the other guy based on him having some interest in Brooklyn and maybe them being able to get him at a reduced price. But I don't see that as all that likely right now. I think that he's a guy that I'm not sure the Nets are looking to give up, you know, draft capital for at this juncture. So I don't see any big moves in the picture right now. I see more the Nets trying to get off and recoup value for some of those free agents, some other guys really trying to get some draft capital back in the door, then maybe let a guy like Jalen Wilson play more in the second half of the season, let a guy like Cam Thomas maybe handle the ball and try to play a little bit of point guard in the second half of the season, and then see where they can take it from there with what they have left with Mikhail Bridges, with some of these guys, and then with having a stockpile of draft capital because they do have 
probably a top five draft arsenal in the league in terms of trade and go after a star in the coming years. So that's pretty much where it's at. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast a lot more than you enjoyed that pretty depressing performance from the Nets against Cleveland in Paris. I'm going to have more coverage for you guys coming up. The Nets are coming home. They're going to face the Miami Heat on Monday. Make sure you guys, if you like the podcast, subscribe on all platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Smash the like button. Leave a five-star review if you can. That really helps a lot. I am Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. You can find all my work on ClutchPoints.com. Also follow me on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore for constant news updates analysis. Have more coverage for you guys soon. Hopefully the Nets can snap out of some of these struggles and we can have something a little bit more pleasant to talk about in the coming weeks. So talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.